Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Is it possible to get additional lights up or isn't that possible? It's okay. Good morning, church. It's great to be with you this morning. I'm sure it's not surprising to you that the church is called a body in the Scriptures, with Jesus Christ in Colossians 1.18 referred to as the head of the church. He is the head of this church. He is the head of the church universal. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the function of the body and uh, makes it clear that each person who is in the church has a role to play. Uh, the Scripture says if the ear gets mad and says, I don't like being an ear, I want to be an eye, that's a problem. Where would the hearing be? And if everybody in the body was an eye, where would the sight be? Uh, the purpose of the body of Christ, obviously, is to glorify Him in the expression of what is known as body life. Body life. 1 Corinthians 12 also talks about the uh, body of Christ serving one another, encouraging one another, caring for one another. One of the insidious things about this lousy virus is that it has worked to destroy the church's understanding and application of what the Scriptures call body life. Living in isolation, living by video, living by all other means beyond and exclusive of body life, relationship together. Suicides are up. Depression is up. Drug addiction is up. Every sin under the, every sin under the sun is up. This virus is evil and insidious and is damaging the church in a way that I don't think anybody can even understand fully this side of heaven. A few months ago, my daughter Rachel came home from her work, very upset, and she uh, explained that a friend of hers at her office was involved in a car accident over the previous weekend, the day before, actually. Uh, this woman, this friend of my daughter, this woman and her husband went to see her father about 90 miles away. They took a drive about 90 miles away, and they visited, and then on the way home, there was a car crash. And the woman was slightly injured, but her husband was killed. It was devastating, obviously, and the woman was suffering terribly. Uh, but later, as she was able to relate to my daughter how her friends from her church cared for her during those very difficult days when she was alone, this is an expression of body life. So the women of the church went to her home, uh, mailed me made meals for her, they stayed overnight with her, they prayed with her. They slept in her home. Uh, they recollected all the good things that her husband was and all the blessings that he was to many people, including my daughter. Uh, she was grieved by this loss of this man who uh, uh, went out of his way. Uh, he saw her car uh, in the parking lot at the office, was, uh, had a bumper out of whack. I couldn't fix it. I don't have the skill. Uh, and so I wondered what to do about it. But he came walking by and he said, oh, your bumper's out of whack. I think I'll fix that for you. So he went and did his magic on it, magic on it, and he fixed it very easily, within a half a minute, I guess, and she marveled at his skill. 
The woman later said to my daughter, I was so glad I didn't have to spend those first lonely nights without my husband alone. Uh, my sisters in Christ, she referred to them as, my sisters in Christ came to me. My brothers in Christ circled around me, and they cared for me. They met my needs. See, that's the picture of body life in the local church. That is what we are supposed to express to one another. The Scripture references 18 times the expression that the church is to have in body life of loving one another, love one another, as described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I just want to read to you this list uh, described in 1 Corinthians 13 uh, in verses 4 through 7. Listen to what it says. This is what we are to do for one another. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's what love looks like. How are we doing with this? How am I doing with this? I read this list and I think, why? How are you doing with this? The Christian life is very difficult apart from the work of Christ in our lives, apart from the presence of the Holy Spirit that will uh, uh, enable us to live this life in greater power. Another list I, I put together, the one another's list. I chased around in the Bible the ways the Christians are supposed to treat one another. They're just known as the one another's. There are 34 items in this list. I'm not reading you these things to discourage you. I'm reading you these things to honor Christ and to say, you know what? This church is to be an embodiment of Him in life, with our families, with our friends, with our neighbors, in our communities, in this local church in particular. Listen to the one another's list. There's, there's 34 items in this list. I'm not going to rush through them, but I'll read in a consistent pace. And as you listen, think about what we need to do as a church to do these things to please our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. Just listen. These are all in the New Testament, 34 of them. Love one another. We've already read that. 18 references in the, New, in the New Testament about loving one another. Accept one another. Be devoted to one another. Give preference to one another. Care for one another. Suffer with one another. Rejoice with one another. Be hospitable to one another. Encourage one another. Build up one another. Be kind to one another. Be compassionate or tenderhearted to one another. Forgive one another. Greet one another, stir up one another to love and good works, tolerate one another, comfort one another, bear with one another, pray for one another, serve one another. Okay, are we tired yet? I'm just halfway through. Serve one another. Aren't you glad for God's grace and His mercy? But this is our task. This is our goal. Not the perfection of our lives, but the direction of our lives. Serve one another. Wait for one another. Instruct or admonish and warn one another. Confess your sins to one another. Serve one another. Live in peace with one another. Seek after the good of one another. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Use your spiritual gifts to serve one another. Be humble toward one another. Carry one another's burdens. 
bear with the failings of one another and live in harmony with one another and be concerned with one another. There's a whole other list of things that are the do-nots of the New Testament and the uh, Old Testament, but I'm not going to read those. This is enough for today, the one another list. How are we doing? This is scary. This is difficult. Forgive one another after what he did to me, after what she said to me. Bear with one another. Be patient with one another. Bear with one another's burdens. Carry one another. There's a man I used to know named Bill. I can still see his face uh, when I say his name. Uh, He was in a, a previous church that my wife and I were in. We were in this church for about 20 years, 19 years to be exact. And it it became a big church. And um, we led different things. I led things. She led things. We participated in ministry together and and apart in the church. And uh, we led small groups for about 18 of those 19 years. Month after month, year after year, the the people tick by and the time ticks by. And uh, in about the 18th last year of our ministry there, we were in a, a small group, we were leading a small group of couples, and there were singles in there, both uh, men and women, and it was a good group. I was particularly blessed to be participating in that group. And I kept running across a person in, this, in our church that I knew as Bill. Now, I want you to know, Bill had nothing. He wasn't smart. He was awkward. He wasn't attractive in any way. Women didn't like him, and men did not respect him. And I kept running into him, and I tried to talk with him, and it was awkward, and I thought, ah, I wonder what, what's, why am I running into Bill all the time? This is a big church. And then I thought, I should invite him to our small group. And then I thought, I don't want to invite him to our small group. I, I like my small group, and uh, we're doing really good work in our small group, and I don't know what Bill's going to do to it. And I was, in my heart, I was arguing about this. Until finally I just said, okay, okay, I'll I'll invite Bill to the group. And so Bill came to the group. Uh, He was there for quite a while, and we were working with him, and he was actually a joy in the group. He was quiet, but I could see he was blooming some. Things that I didn't know were in there uh, came forth. And he he was actually a blessing in his own way to our group. And um, so for many months he was there, and then suddenly he disappeared. And I wondered, what happened to Bill? And uh, I called him, and he wouldn't call me back. Um, I looked for him at church, and I didn't see him. And I thought, well, that's not, maybe I'm just missing him. I'm, I'm not seeing him, though. And then week after week went by, month after month, and I finally said to two leaders in the church, these are the, uh, two of the leading men in our church, I said, you know, I'm, there's a man who, uh, who was in our small group. His name is Bill, and He's disappeared. I can't find him. He's not responding to me. And I, I, I'm trying to pursue him, but I can't find him. Have you seen Bill? And one of the guys goes, oh, yeah. These are, by the way, these are, these are leaders in this big church. These are men who should know. One of the guys says to me, oh, yeah, Bill. I remember Bill. Ha, <laughs> ha, Bill. And I said, well, what, what is funny about Bill? And he related a story to me that Bill was um, at church, and after the service, he walked up to the preacher and and to this man who's relating to me the story, and he's asking them questions and about the Scriptures and what they mean. And then out from his Bible flew a piece of paper and landed on the floor. And so this man picked it up, looked at it, showed it to the preacher, and they laughed, and they snickered. It was a deeply embarrassing piece of paper. He should never, never have... I, I don't need to get into that, but it's, it was really bad. 
and, and embarrassing. And, and they laughed at him. They went into the back. These two men laughed about Bill. And I said, oh, you laughed at Bill. That was wrong. The man said, well, Bill was like a Pharisee. Jesus made fun of Pharisees. He ridiculed Pharisees. And listen, I'm not telling you this to my glory. I feel like I failed Bill in many ways. But I said, you know what? He was no Pharisee. The Pharisees had the power in the community. Every community in Israel, Israel the, the Pharisees had the power. They could, they could kick you out of synagogue. They could make your life miserable. They could make it so you couldn't even live in the community. Bill was no Pharisee. The, the, the Pharisees were the men to emulate. They were the men who knew the word. They were men who had power. They were men who could recite the scriptures. They were men of great renown and in, intelligence. And in the word, everybody, everybody revered the Pharisees. You're the Pharisees. You men laughed Bill out of this church, and now he doesn't talk to me. And you men are responsible for his loss. I even was so mad I wrote them a letter. But they never repented. They never even responded. You see, I still get upset when I think about Bill and about how it happened to him. Uh, later on, I, I, I went to Bill. I knew he worked at a grocery store. He bagged groceries. And I went to the grocery store so I could ambush him at the grocery store. I said, Bill, how are you? He's bagging groceries. Here I am. You can imagine he's at the end of the line bagging groceries, and here I am talking with him at the grocery store. I said, Bill, how are you doing? He goes, no, I'm, I'm okay. I'm busy bagging groceries. I say, I see that, Bill. Hey, uh, I miss you in our group. Why don't you come back? He goes, no, I, I can't. I'll call you later. I said, Bill, I don't think you will call me. I've tried calling you, Bill. You know, I just knew he wasn't going to do that, so I, I kept pressing and saying, Bill, Look, come back, please. He said, no, I'll talk to you later. Well, I did this a few times, and then I gave up. I figured, you know, he's a grown man. He can decide what he wants to do. I'm not there to make his life miserable, any more miserable than I'm sure it was. Uh, several months later, I found out that Bill had died. He had lung cancer that he did not go to the doctor for, and he let it go, let it go, let it go. He, in the end, he was spitting up blood. He was, he was, by the time he went to the doctor, he was almost dead. And so the, I heard about his death on the, uh, on the day he died, and I decided to go to the wake. There were maybe two people in the, church, uh, in the wake center there where they were holding it in the funeral home, um, two or three, and I show up, and I, I met his sister. And she said, well, who are you? And I said, I, I told her who I was and my relationship to Bill at the church and our group. And she gave me the most sour, uh, sour look, and I could tell. She didn't like me. And I thought, boy, she, you don't even know me. Um, but then I thought, what a sad testimony is on the name of Christ, who's the head of the church, uh, that this woman now despises us, me, the church, and ultimately our Lord, Jesus. Why? Because we miserably fail to do body life, miserably failed. Men who should know better didn't practice body life. So my, my, my word to you today is to encourage those of you who understand body life. The church is more than going to church on Sunday. The church is more than singing songs on Sunday morning and listening to a sermon or watching it on video or doing those things that the world says are the way we should do things, and they don't have a clue that the church is 
essential. The church is not non-essential. The church is essential. So my word to you today is those of you who understand this and are willing to embrace this, I encourage you to continue and look for that in the future. This is a good church. I love this church. Many people love this church. To those of you who have not understood this and have not even practiced it or haven't really even given it a thought, I urge you to think about it this morning and even when you go home. And maybe even to those of you who know better, maybe a little slight rebuke, if I might be so bold, to rebuke and to say, you know, the church is more than hanging out on Sunday uh, and then going home and not encouraging one another and caring for one another, tolerating one another where our differences are strong, praying for one another, bearing one another's burdens like that lady who had her, the blessing of a, of a church home that ministered to her in her darkest days. It's scary sometimes. It's difficult. It leads to disappointment and frustration. If I decide that I need to challenge you about something or you decide you need to have a word with me to challenge me, um, I might not like that or you might not like that. And you might decide, you know, I don't like that Gordon guy. Uh, he exhorted me to do something. and I don't want to do that. Or... I might say, you know, that whoever might be that invisible person in the middle of the row here who doesn't exist, he might say, Gordon, I think you're uh, doing this wrong. And I might think, well, that's painful to hear. Um, I don't like that. You see, it's difficult. Uh, but we are responsible for what we know, and we act upon what we know, and we seek to live body life to honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is the head of this church. We're going to be in uh, Hebrews today. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. We're going to be looking at two sections of, from Hebrews. Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 1 and 2. And then we're going to skip a section and continue in Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Before I get into the details of the specific scriptures in Hebrews, I'm going to open in prayer. Father, this is a beautiful day. A beautiful day in Bakersfield, Lord. We're thankful for it. Uh, your mercies are new every morning, every morning, rain or shine, hot or cold, whatever it is, you give us great mercies. We can talk today, we can listen, we can sing your praises, we can pray to you and know in confidence that you hear us. You're hearing my voice right now, and you know what is going on in each person's heart right now sitting in these, at these chairs. Lord, open your scriptures with power this morning. Uh, may I speak with clarity May I speak of nothing that is wrong, and whatever is wrong, I pray it would leave these people's hearts and mind as quickly as it entered. But whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is true, let it remain. And let us be different because we've been here today. We ask for your power. In the name of our great Savior, Jesus, amen. Hebrews 5, beginning in, chap uh, I'm sorry, beginning in verse 11. Hebrews was written to a bunch of uh, uh, believers who were of uh, Jewish heritage. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. It, it might have been Apollos. It, it might have been Barnabas. We don't know who wrote it. Uh, but it oftentimes is referred to as the epistle of warning, the danger of falling away from the faith, also known as the letter about maturity, what it means to be a mature person in Christ. There's a lot of warnings in this, in this uh, letter and a lot of exhortations to do things a certain way. In chapter 5, uh, the writer is talking about uh, Jesus in the uh, verses 7 through 9, talking about his identity and how he learned obedience uh, and he was made perfect. There's a lot of 
information and study you need to understand. We don't have, we're not going to do that today about how Jesus could have been made perfect even though he was the Son of God and was perfect. Jesus became the source of eternal salvation, he says in verse 9, to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of, of Melchizedek. Now listen to verse 11. We're going to read verses 11 through chapter 6, verse 2. Listen, please. About this, pause. He's talking about the identity of Jesus and the deeper things of Jesus. How could Jesus be made perfect when he was perfect? What does it mean? What does it look like? I don't understand. How did he become the source of eternal salvation to all who will obey? I thought we were saved by grace alone, through faith alone. These are all explainable things. And uh, the writer of Hebrews says, I, I, I want to talk to you more about these deeper things of the faith. Okay, verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Okay, let's go back to verse 11. The writer is, is saying, as I mentioned a minute ago, that he wants to talk more about the deeper things of God to them. He has much to say about that to them, but he's discerned that they can't deal with it. It's hard to explain to you, he says. Why? Well, why is it hard to explain, writer of Hebrews? Why? And remember, when the writer of Hebrews said, says these things, God is saying these things. God is saying these things to the Hebrews, and he's saying this to us. It's hard to explain to you why. Well, you've become dull of hearing. It's interesting, that term, that phrase, dull of hearing. In the original language, it means you're stupid. That's not very nice. Well, it gets worse. It also means uh, you're lazy, you're dull. Uh, it's a settled state of being. I'm comfortable being stupid. I'm a comfortable little rock who is unteachable and do doesn't care. I don't care. I am dull of hearing. I, I, I chase this around in commentaries to see if my understanding of this was correct, and I'm, I'm happy to be shaped by other men. Who, wrote these who write these commentaries in one commentary said, you know, this is uh, the writer's uh, attempt to give a little gentle rebuke, uh, a gentle rebuke to these people uh, who are reading this letter. And I thought, I don't know about that. Stupid, lazy, dull, settled state of being. I'm comfortable being lazy, stupid, and dull. I don't think that's a gentle rebuke. I think that's a pretty harsh rebuke. If somebody said to me, you know, Gordon, I'd like to talk to you about a few things, but I'm not going to because you're an idiot. Another synonym. You're actually, you're really dull. And you're too comfortable in your laziness and your dim-wittedness. And um, I don't even know if you're a follower of Christ. I don't even know if you're a believer. Uh, that's how bad it is. You're settled in your stupidity. Now, I don't know. I don't think I would take that as a gentle rebuke. If I respected the person and I knew the person loved the Lord and, and knew his word, I might take that very seriously and seek to say what I need to do differently. This is not a gentle rebuke. This is a harsh rebuke. This is very tough. 
But by the way, the Christian life, life isn't always nice. I keep telling my kids when they were growing up, I said, you know, nice isn't in the Bible. Show me where it says nice. What it says is kind. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, uh, fruitfulness, faithfulness, and self-control. Gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Nice isn't in the Bible. Kindness is, and all those good things from Galatians 5.22 are in the Bible. We get confused and think, you don't have any right to talk to me about what you see as my problem. Leave me alone. No, no, we care for one another. We build one another up. We challenge one another. One another. We exhort one another. The writer of Hebrews is really, really frustrated with this, uh, these people. Though by this time you ought to be teachers. You should be way beyond this, but your settled state is really bad. You should be teaching others of the faith. And it doesn't mean they should be standing up in front of a group of people and teaching the Bible. It could, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. Maybe you don't have comfort doing that. Maybe you don't have any desire to do that. Maybe that's not in your set of the way God has wired you, and that's great. The body, uh, God wires the body of Christ with various types of people of different gifts and, and talents. We love that. But if you're growing in Christ, you ought to have an understanding of the faith that you can, so you can explain the faith to someone who doesn't know anything about the faith. You should be able to teach others what you know and lead them into the Scriptures to say, here's what Jesus is, here's who He is, here's what He's done, and here's what He will do. That's the scope of reference of, by this time you ought to be teachers. By this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. The basic principles of the oracles of God. Okay, I want to teach you about the great mysteries of Jesus and who He is and, and what He's about, but I can't because you're dull of hearing and we're going back again. If any of you are teachers here, how frustrating is it? You spend a year maybe teaching some kids some things and they don't even get it. And then, you, of course, you think, well, it's, it's the teacher's fault. Well, maybe it is. Maybe not. In this case, it's the student's fault. It's the Hebrew people's fault. You need someone... Not me, the writer says. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Who is Jesus? Tell me about His work, His life, His ministry to people. Tell me about His miracles. Tell me about His turning uh, water into wine, the first miracle He, he uh, uh, committed. Tell me uh, about His death on the cross and what was that about, about His resurrection and about what He's doing now and what His purposes are. Tell me about that. The basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. You don't have to be there. You don't have to be unskilled in God's word. You can be very skilled, but it takes something, and we're going to learn what it takes. You can be very skilled in God's Word. doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how gifted you are, how talented you are. God has given you a capacity to do His work. And whatever capacity He's given you to do it, you can fill it up, and He can be joyously pleased with each of us who do this. Young, old, it doesn't matter. You can't give pizza to a baby. This is what He's saying. I'm not going to be able to give you pizza. I've got to give you milk because that's where you are, and that's where you want to be. I don't want you there, but let's hope you grow up. Verse 14, solid food is for the mature. I was talking to a friend of mine who leads a small group of men, grown men, 40s, 50s men, who have good jobs, and they got into a spat. Two of these guys in his group got into a spat. It was so silly. I don't know. I don't understand it. They got into a spat, and they got mad at each other, and he called me this, and he said that, and la-di-da-di-da-di-da. And he said, what do you want me to do? The leader said, 
he was relating this to me. He goes, I told him, what do you want me to do? You want me to, what? You want to execute each other? You want to have a duel? What do you want to do? And he was so frustrated because these grown men were acting like children, claiming to be believers. Oh, we waste so much time in those kinds of matters. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You know, the Scriptures talk very frequently about three types of people, or or rather three types of um, uh, work lives that uh, illustrate what the Christian life is about. It's farming, it's soldiers, and it's athletes. Uh, Farmers, soldiers, and athletes. If you want to be a good athlete, those of you who are athletes understand this, or uh, anybody who has some uh, uh, military background or experience, or anybody who knows anything about farming would know this. It takes diligence. You're not going to get up in the morning as a farmer at 9 a.m. and decide, oh, I think today uh, maybe somebody else will plant my crops for me. I think today maybe somebody else will milk the cows for me. No, it doesn't work that way. If you want to be good at anything, if you want to be a good student in your classroom, if you want to be a good employee, if you want to do a job well, it takes diligence when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. Uh, Paul said to Timothy, in season and out of season, preach the word. When you feel like it, when you don't feel like it, when you're tired, when you've got high energy, when you're discouraged, when you're frustrated, when people disappoint you, you do it anyway. And you ask God to give you strength to do these things. It takes constant practice, and by that constant practice, you can distinguish good from evil. What's good for my body as an athlete versus what is bad for my body? What is good, what is bad? You distinguish good from evil by constant practice. The Christian life is a battle. The people who win are those who understand the concept of the battle against the flesh and the world and the devil, Ephesians chapter 2. And they're diligent to be devoted to Christ at all costs, knowing that He wants to empower us to live this life well, to please Him. Constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, because of of what I just said, the writer is saying, because of what I've just said, therefore, because of that, therefore, what are we going to do? Well, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God out of instruction about washings and the laying out of hands, the resurrection of dead, and eternal judgment. Move on to maturity. Don't keep requiring us to lay a foundation of understanding that the foundation stone is Christ, who He is, what He came to do, uh, His life, His power, His death, His resurrection, and how we can become His when we receive Him by faith to Pay for our sins so that we may live in power and please Him and enjoy eternal life with Him. Those are the foundational things of the faith. Don't make us do that over and over again, he says. How frustrating is it if you're a builder and you keep having to lay a foundation? You lay a foundation, it's really good, and then somebody comes up and breaks it apart. And you lay it again, and you lay it again, and you lay it again. It's a waste of life, a waste of time. We have limited time in this world. Don't do that, he's saying. Don't make me lay again a foundation of repentance from dead works. The Jews were into works, you know. By this time, they were really into working their way to heaven, as is every false religion. Every religion other than Christianity is about man's works and about God receiving us because of our works and our goodness. Christianity is unique in this. By grace alone, through faith alone, we receive salvation. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. We have to have faith toward God. Instruction about washings. Again, that's a Jewish ritual uh, uh, teaching. 
laying out of hands for healing, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Well, verses 3 through 8 here talks about the danger of falling away. How, how dangerous it is to turn, once you have tasted the things of God, to turn away. It's like a dog returning to his vomit. The scriptures have all kinds of earthy descriptions sometimes. I'm sorry. That's a ridiculous, I mean, it's, it's a rough picture on a Sunday morning, maybe any day. Fall away, don't fall away. Skip down to verse 9. This is Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9 uh, through 12. He says, though we speak this way, Yet in, in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Stop. Wait a minute. We're talking about in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Now, how is that? How is that? He just got done tearing them up in a righteous way, tearing them up for being stupid and dull and dumb as a rock and settled and very comfortable in their stupidity their spiritual stupidity. And then now he's saying, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Isn't that a little troubling? Well, let me help us understand this. In a group of, uh, I don't know how many people are here, but uh, in a group of this size, there may be those who are, I know there are those who are believers here, who have relationship uh, with God through their Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And there may be those who are not saved. Uh, there may be those who don't have uh, a relationship with Christ. Maybe you're in that group that is dull of hearing because you want it that way, or you're just comfortable and you think that's the Christian life. That's what he's talking about. There, a church of any size has a group of people in both of those categories. They're known as tares uh, and wheat. Uh, there are different types of people. We can't lift up a shirt and say, well, this person's got the C on their side, and he or she is a Christian. I can't, I can't nobody can see that. You can believe the testimony of a person's mouth and then watch what they do. But he's talking to those who do love Christ in this group of Hebrews that he's writing to. Though we speak in this way, in this tough way, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. What belongs to salvation? Good works as a fruit of relationship. We do good works not to earn salvation, but we do good works as a, an outpouring of the joy we have of relationship with Christ. Romans 2, 4 says, uh, uh, Don't you know that it is the forbearance of God that drives you to repentance? The, the forbearance of God. Forbearance is an unusual word in our culture, but it's, it's patience. It's tolerance. Don't you know it's the patience of God? Don't you know it's the forbearance of God that drives you to repentance? What is your testimony about this? In my case, I was a, a flaming pagan. I, I don't say, I, I, I'm just telling you what I was. And then I... I, I was assaulted by uh, Christian truth. And the Lord, it's as if the Lord grabbed me by the throat and said, okay, enough of this. This is who you are going to be. I've had enough of you. <laughs> it's, it's, look, when I got a grip on how much the Lord has forgiven me in my salvation, it drove me to repentance. Romans 2, 4. That's your testimony, no doubt. Once you understand what he's done for you, what you were, what you are, you would do anything for the Lord Jesus Christ. doesn't matter what you were, it matters what you are, and it matters what you will be. Don't be laying there in the gutter of what you were. Things that belong to salvation, those kinds of things about your salvation, about working because you love Christ and what He's done for you. 
that belongs to salvation. That, I've not given you an uh, exclusively extensive list, but those are things that belong to salvation. Listen to verse 10. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his sake in serving the saints, as you still do. He's being hyperbolic. He's using hyperbole and irony here. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work. Well, of course not. God is the opposite of unjust. He's completely just, perfectly just, immeasurably just. Obviously, he's not. He's using hyperbole and irony to make his point. God is not so unjust as to overlook your work. He doesn't overlook your work, no matter how small, no matter how insignificant you think it might be. Maybe you work in the kids' ministry. Maybe you're changing diapers. Maybe you're teaching kids who sit there and you have no idea if anything's soaking in there. He knows, and he sees, and he does not forget. He doesn't overlook your work, and he does not overlook the love that you have showed for his sake in serving the saints, as you still do. It's not gone. You still do it. You persist as you still do. Um, uh, I referenced earlier the, uh, the experience my wife and I had at, a, at the other church that was a very big church. It became a very big church over the time we were there. And um, we left in great pain, extraordinarily painful for us. We lost almost all of our relationships, all of our friendships, all of the pastors that I knew, most of them. The elders we worked with and the elders' wives, they were gone, dozens upon dozens of people over the course of 20 years. And when we left, we were, I remember, I can remember distinctly sitting, actually I was standing, my wife was sitting in the kitchen, and she was grieving, and through her tears she said, all those years, all those people that we remember, do you remember this person? Yeah, do you remember that person? Do you remember? Yeah, all those years, Gordon, week after week, working so hard, and they're gone. They're just gone. And so she said, you know what that was? I said, what? She goes, <clears throat> that's what she did. That's Christian swearing. It's Christian swearing right there. She did it twice. And I said, well, I think it was more than that. I, I, think, <laughs> I think that we did more than that. It was 18, 19 years of our lives. Well, a couple of weeks later, we were visiting a church. And uh, a woman walks up to Joyce, my wife Joyce, and she says, I don't think you're going to remember me. And Joyce did not. I didn't know who she was, and, and uh, she walked up to her and said, I don't think you'll remember me, but 20 years ago, you threw a, a baby shower for me. I was expecting a child. This woman was unwed, uh, a lot of courage to, to carry this child full term, unwed, and all the things she had to go through. And she said, you know, Joyce, you put together a baby shower for me uh, in my fear and all the things I was worried about, and, and I, I will never forget that because you showered me, you and your friends showered me with love um, in my trial and in my fear. And up walks this lovely 20-year-old girl. Meet my daughter, Joyce. You know, it's as though God said, here, I see you. Give me a little piece of bread here. Let me give you a little, a little something to think about. Because... I see you. God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. 20 years later, still doing it. And this woman, you think it was by chance. We go to this church. There is no way, no way 
We go to this church expecting to see no one we knew, and up walks this woman with her 20-year-old daughter that Joyce had ministered to in that way 20 years earlier. There's no way. This is just God's showing her, I saw you. See, I don't forget. You forgot. Joyce forgot. I didn't forget, he says. He showed you. In my own experience, and I'm not saying you should expect this. I never I've never experienced these kinds of things. I'm just giving you, going to give you two examples. But, but don't be discouraged if you don't receive these kinds of things, but just have confidence in what God says. You may forget them. He doesn't. In my own experience, a couple of weeks after that, I was uh, at some kind of a gathering. There were a bunch of Christian men there. I don't even know what it was. I don't remember. But somebody walks up to me, a man, and I, I knew who he was, and he goes, Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Bumblebees. What are you talking about, bumblebees? He goes, bumblebees, bumblebees. I said, yes, I heard you say bumblebees. And he goes, um, you, you remember, we were in, our, in the small group, of men's group, and you remember me. And I said, of course I do. I remember the group. And he goes, uh, we, were, we were having trouble memorizing Scripture, and you, you used the picture of bumblebees. And then I remembered. It was uh, Philippians 4.12, um, where um, it's the most abused scripture, which people use to think they can, like, you can play NBA basketball when you're four foot three, maybe. But you see, you can't do you can't do everything if God's not equipped you to do it. But He says, um, uh, Paul in Philippians four twelve, I can do, I can, I've learned to live with humble means. It was the New American Standard version of that verse that we were memorizing in that version. I have learned to get along with humble means, and we were all stumbling over humble means because who talks like that? And so I said, okay, let's, um, let's, let's do a mind trick. Let's uh, think of something. And I said, okay, bumblebees. I have learned to get along with bumblebees. That's not easy to do, but I've learned to get along with bumblebees. I've learned to get along with humble means. And he knew that verse. All the guys got the verse then. I did too. And I thought, well, that's, in an odd way, that's really encouraging. He still remembered. Years later, I had forgotten. But you see... Whether God reveals to you again, I saw you here, have a piece of bread on me, Jesus says. Here, I forgot about that. He didn't. That's true for each of us. Whatever we do, if you're a mom, daily diapers, daily bringing the kids to school, daily spats, daily this, daily that, oh my goodness, this is hard work, but you're a mom. That's your job. And I imagine you're doing it well, and God loves that, and he loves you, what you're doing. He sees and he knows. And the same thing for dads, the same way. Singles, marrieds, doesn't matter. You do it because you love him. You do it for his sake. The love you have shown for his sake in serving the saints, and you still do. There's a persistence in it. Verse 11, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Earnestness, earnestness, diligence, soldier, farmer, athlete, requiring earnestness. If you're going to be good at anything, you've got to be earnest, diligent. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end. What's our hope? Well, the hope is the return of Christ. It's not a, oh, I wish that would happen, or I, I think it might happen. It's, it will happen. I'm looking forward to it, and um, that is certainly going to be the day that I will rejoice, the hope of his return. That's our hope in Christ. That's the hope he's referring to, the hope until the end. Whether we die in the flesh in this life before he comes back or if he comes back when we're still walking around here, that's our hope. Verse 12, so that... You may not be sluggish. There's that word again, sluggish. It's the same Greek word that is dull of hearing in verse 11 of chapter 5. 
different translation, different nuance, but same expression. Again, he, he repeats the, con- the concept of uh, be like this so that you may not be sluggish, stupid, dull, dim-witted, dull as a rock, a settled state of being. Don't be like that. That you may not be like that, be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Whatever you do, do your work heartily for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance. Is, is the Lord Christ whom you serve? That's Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Don't do it for a man. Don't do it for anyone other than Jesus because you know why? You're going to wear out. People are going to disappoint. Jesus never disappoints. Never, never. The best man, the best woman is just a frail representation made in the image of God just like you. Be imitators of those who are further down the path. People who have lived the Christian life for a while, look at them and think, I, th- I think I should try to, I like what I see in that woman or I like what I see in that man and I'm going to be diligent to work to get there as best I know how, as best I can with whatever capacity the Lord has given to me. Through faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of, not, of things not seen, Hebrews um, 11.1. 1. Through faith and patience, wait for it, wait for it. It'll come. It'll come in this life or the next. You're going to inherit the promises. Well, some closing thoughts. First one, don't be a consumer of the church. Don't sit there and, well, you know, I don't like the way he said that, or I wish he could do better at this, or "Mm, maybe the music was this or that. Maybe I prefer a different type of music, or maybe that's not for me, and I don't really like that. Try to grow up a little bit. I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm just saying, churches, I, I have the privilege of seeing lots of churches, and churches have the same, same troubles all the time. Different faces, same troubles, whether it's in Peru, Romania, Poland, Canada, or the U.S. Different faces, same sin problems, same. Same joys, same struggles. Don't be a consumer of the, of the church. Offer your time and service. Someday, the Lord's going to kick this virus away. Someday. When that day comes and the church gets more and more open, offer yourself in service to one another. Care for one another. Visit one another. Call one another. Uh, uh, listen to one another's burdens. And be discreet with one another. Don't gossip about one another. Offer yourself in body life to the church, to the glory of Christ and Him alone. He likes that. I was in a meeting once with a bunch of men and we were arguing, not arguing, we were discussing nicely. And uh, it was called intense fellowship. And so we were talking, and, and uh, somebody says, an older man said, you know, I think we should do it this way. And I said, why? He said, because, because God likes it. I'd never heard that before in my life. God likes it. And I thought, why? Well, gee, if God likes it, then we better do that. So it was over, discussion over. He was right. I don't know why we got confused, but if you discern that God likes it, you ought to do it. And if you discern God doesn't like it, nah, you better not do that. wouldn't be good for you. No clicks. Let people be who they are. Help them to grow. Love one another. Be patient with one another. Tolerate one another's differences. God remembers even if people forget. And in closing, I wanted to also read a section of John 17. This is important to keep in mind. You know the, the high, priestly, high priestly prayer of Jesus just before he went to the cross? He was so heavily burdened by what he knew was coming by the suffering, by the thorns, by the spitting, by the plucking of his beard, by, by all the things that they put him through. 
Listen to his prayer. Now, you're going to see in verse 14. This is John 17, verse 14. I have given them your word. You can put your name in there. Lee, you can say, Jesus said, I have given Lee your word. Karen, same thing, all of us, each of us. And you'll be able to see why that's okay as we go through it. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As, I have sent, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. I, ask, I do not ask this for these only, but, for all, but also for those who will, who will believe in me through their word. That's you. That's me. Jesus didn't pray just for himself or these only, these disciples. He also prayed for those who would come after them, generation to generation to generation to generation. That's us, those who influenced us towards Christ, those who shared the gospel with us. He's thinking of us individually, individually. I'm not asking for these only, he says in verse 20, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's a future believer's verse that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Wow. Wow, let that be a joy to you. God loves you. He wants good for you. Be diligent. Farmer, athlete, soldier. Be diligent. Body life, practice it. Carry on. God does not forget even if people do. It's okay. He remembers. Let's pray together. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.